Hey friends and welcome. We are here and we're excited because today we are getting started on our series where we're going through the Gospel of John together. We are going to look at this great book of the Bible in its entirety, verse by verse, and I for one cannot wait to see what God is going to do in us and through us as we study His Word. It's going to be awesome. So grab your Bible now, turn it to John chapter 1, verse 1. That's where we're going to get started, right at the beginning today. While you're finding that, I'll give you a little bit of a peer into my soul. I love Google Maps. I have spent a lot of time on Google Maps. I was going to come on and tell you it's a slight pastime and hobby of mine. Sometimes it's more like a borderline obsession. Love Google Maps, partly because I just love maps and I love geography. One of the features of Google Maps that's really cool, though, is how you can zoom. Depending on what you're looking to do, you can zoom in on something. You say, I want to know how many parking spots are in that parking lot. I want to know what color roof is on that house. I want to know how many houses are on that street. You can zoom in for a great detailed look at something if you want. At the same time, you can also zoom out. You say, I want to know how big New Brunswick is in relation to Quebec or Nova Scotia. So you can zoom out for a broad sweeping look of what's going on. The reason I say that is because at different times through the study of John, we're going to be zoomed in. We're going to look at phrases or concepts or events and really zero in on those. Take a specific zoomed in look on them. Other times, like today, we're going to be zoomed out. We're going to be looking at the big picture. That's what today is. Today we are reading one of the most foundational, fundamental, important texts in all of the scriptures. It's going to lay out in some good detail for us who Jesus is and what Jesus is like and the fact that he is centrally important to the life that God has for us to live. It's a little bit of a vain exercise in a way because there's no words we can use to succinctly sum up Jesus. No anecdotes or metaphors we can use to just capture his essence just like that. He is so significant and substantial and weighty and beyond what we can even comprehend in our minds. But this text today is going to get at why he's important. And we need to know Jesus. That's what we're talking about today. But I digress. Let's read the word. We're going to go John 1, 1 through 18. So let's read it together. Here's what it says. In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God." And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because He was before me. 
For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, but He has made Him known. In this text today, the sheer weight and magnitude of who Jesus is is going to be on display. And if you're listening to this and you're not a Christian, I want you to take a hard look at the Jesus we're talking about today because you need to know Him. If you are a Christian, I want you to behold the glory of your King Jesus. I want you to stand in awe of who He is because we need to know Him and walk with Him. And what I want to do is I want to share 10 things with you from this text that are so foundational in our understanding, not only of the, the book of John, but of our life in general that God has for us to live. So the first thing I want to do, number one is this, is to tell you that Jesus is the Word. He's the Word. You might have seen uh, in that text that we just read four times that phrase, the Word, comes up. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And later it says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This concept has been mused over by theologians all over the place for many, many, many years. It's a large concept, but I want to kind of unpack it a little bit to help us understand. So roll with me now. First and foremost, the Word is referring to Jesus. It's a title here that's given to Jesus. And here's why. Let me explain. God is a God of revelation. God is a God of expression. God wants to be known and related to by that which He has made. God is, unlike what some people think, God is not an impersonal, cold, distant force. He's a personable, relational being. And when it uses this phrase, the Word, that comes from the Greek term logos. Logos is a massively image-rich word. And what it's getting at is something that is spoken, uttered, communicated. It's all about communication. The word is about the communication of God. You guys know how important communication is. Communication helps us relate better to one another, relate better to our surroundings, relate and understand each other and our lives better. Communication is essential. I had a time this week that communication broke down in and of myself. Lori and I were driving around, cruising around, and we drove by McDonald's. She said something about a McFlurry. And her communication was fine. It was my communication was skewed somewhere. And what I somehow heard was, I don't need a Wanda McFlurry, so don't stop. So I kept on driving. That wasn't the right decision. It wasn't the right life choice. Thankfully, she's very gracious, and I'm here to tell the tale. The point is this. Communication is really important. And God wants to communicate with us. God wants to relate to us and connect to us. So what do we need to know if we're going to get onto the same plane and wavelength as God? If we're going to connect with and relate to God, we need to know the Word. We need to know what He's communicating. You might have heard the expression before, give so-and-so the Word. Lori's family uses that expression a lot. I've certainly never been on the receiving end of this, but that phrase, giving so-and-so the Word, it means somebody did something dumb and now they're getting reprimanded or yelled at or lectured for it. And when you're on the receiving end of that, there could be many words the other person is using to tell you that what you did wasn't right. 
But what they're communicating, the, the message they are sending is, you blew it, you messed up, you dropped the ball. You're getting the word. That's the word, the communication they're giving you. Or maybe, let's think of this a different way. You might have had an experience in your life where you met a person that just has a larger-than-life personality. They're just full, full type A personality, and you're, you're trying to describe them to someone. Or you had some kind of an experience that was so amazing and full and incredible, and you're trying to sum that up for someone else. And you're saying, oh, what word could I use to describe that to you? You might use many different words in describing that person or that event, but ultimately the word... The communication that you're trying to send is, is the essence of whatever that thing is. The word, in this case right here, is the communication that God is trying to make with us. The essence of what He is trying to sum up. The word is the summary of what God is trying to communicate to us and tell us. Anything we need to know about God or ourselves or our life or the world we live in or the eternity that God desires for us that's the word. And that word is Jesus. That title is a title ascribed to Jesus here. He is the word. He is the communication, the, the, the information, the experience that God wants us to get onto. So the first question today is this. Do you know Jesus? Do you know the word today? Have you believed in and do you belong to Jesus? Because that's everything. He is everything. The second thing, number two, is this. Jesus is God. He is God. It says in verse 1 and 2, In the beginning was the Word. That's Jesus. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, when you come onto that language that says about beginning, a lot of times in the Scriptures, that's trying to point you immediately to the Lord. Because the only thing in this world that has no beginning is God. It's God. He actually exists outside of the parameters of time and space that we are limited by. He has no beginning. We have a beginning. All the stuff around us in the world that we see had a beginning, but God had no beginning. He is without start. He's always existed from eternity past. So that language of beginning points us right to the Lord. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, it says. Jesus was with God in the beginning. Some people have an idea or an opinion or a belief of Jesus that he was just a good person or an enlightened man or a good teacher or someone that ascended to the level of a God or became like a God. Well, this refutes that right away, right here. It says, no, he's always been the same Jesus from eternity past. He's been with God the whole time. Furthermore, John's going to raise the stakes on this. Not only was Jesus with God from the beginning, but it says the word was God. Jesus is God. Here's the thing. God exists in three persons. We only have one God. He's one God, but He exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We call that the Trinity. Three parts. And each member of the Trinity has a distinct and unique role and function within the Trinity, but they're all still fully and equally God. Well, the Word, Jesus, the Son of God, is part of that Trinity. And so, I don't know what that looked like when it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I don't, my little peanut brain doesn't have the horsepower to get there, to picture what that looked like. But the point is this, whatever the beginning looked like, Jesus was there. In the beginning of history and time as we know it, Jesus was there. Because He's God. 
I don't know how you see him today, but that's who he is. Do you know him? Number three, Jesus was involved in creation. It says in verse three, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that has been made. So the first thing we see there right off the hop is that creation not only happened, but it was not some random accident or, or something that happened by happenstance. Creation is not just a big bang that started out of nothing. No, it's the activity of God. God created everything. It came from something, from somewhere, from someone. It was created by God. In Genesis chapter 1, the first chapter in the whole Bible, it says that God created all things. He spoke the world into existence. I just think that's kind of neat how we just talked about Jesus is the Word, and God used words, speaking, communication, to create all that's been made. It's as though Jesus was the Word through which creation was accomplished. Again, who knows what that looks like? I can't get there in my mind. But the point is this. There is power there. There is life there and vitality and gusto and creativity and passion. That is our Jesus. He has been around and he has been active since the very, very start. Number four, we just dial it up in here. Number four, Jesus is the essence of life itself. He is the essence of life. In verse 4 it says, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. You guys know that there is a fundamental difference between being alive and being full of life. They're not the same thing at all. I was reminded of this lately. About a week and a half ago, I got my third dose of the vaccine. And confession, I sort of went in a little cocky, I think. I said, oh, I heard that some people were having trouble, you know, and had a fever and weren't feeling great after their third needle. I said, no problem. I'm young. I'm fit. This thing isn't going to bother me at all. My second needle was totally fine. I said, I bet my arm won't even hurt after that. That part was true. My arm never did hurt. But that thing got me. I went home and throughout the course of the rest of that day, I started to kind of feel a little bit worse. I was kind of starting to get achy, a little bit of a headache, kind of lethargic. So I went to bed early. I said, no problem. This won't bring me down. I'll sleep this off. No trouble. About 1230 in the morning, I woke up and I was in a fit of shivering and shaking. I was going on like this and I couldn't stop shaking. But my body was roasting hot. I was simultaneously roasting hot and freezing cold. My feet were freezing. I had this headache that my head was pounding. I couldn't sleep. I had a fever. I felt miserable. And I was up most of the rest of the night. Most of the next day, I was just lying around, not doing hardly anything. Uh, it was pretty miserable. It's what I get, I guess. It reminded me during that experience First of all, I said, I should be pretty thankful because I don't feel this way very often. But the way I was feeling was this. Man, this is no way to live. This is, yeah, I'm alive. My heart's still beating, I think. But this is not living life to the full. There's more than this. This is not what it means to be full of life. You should have seen me. I was a sight. 
That's what this is getting at. This isn't just talking about Jesus being alive. It talks about how Jesus is full of life. How the essence of Jesus is one of glory and vitality and gusto and fullness. Those all echo forth from Jesus. He is the epitome of life itself. Matter of fact, our lives, we're only here physically on the earth because God expressed himself. We are an expression of God's life and power and creativity and, uh, and awesomeness and majesty and his activity. He is full of life. And we were created in His image. So we, in a sense, are to take after that. We were designed to share in this experience of fully living. And Jesus actually tells us in John 17, 3, which has become one of my favorite verses in the last year or so, He says, this is eternal life. This is true, full living. It says that they know God. And Jesus Christ whom he has sent. I love that. In other words, there is a full life to be lived. And it only happens when we're connected and close to Jesus. You need to know today that your life has purpose. You are not here by accident. Your life counts for something, my friend. And that purpose can only fully, truly be realized and lived out. If you're walking with Jesus and you know Jesus and you've been saved by Jesus. So again, I'll pause and ask, do you know him today? He's everything. You need to know him. Number five, Jesus is light. He is light. Verse four says, in him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. You go down to verse 9 and it says, The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. A couple of things on light. First of all, light reveals things. You know how that works. You go into a room, you flick the lights on, and that room lights up. It's illuminated. You can see clearly in it. Whereas if the light was off, you could not see as clearly. Jesus, the light, reveals things. He reveals God to us. That's what it says in verse 18. It says, No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, but Jesus has made Him known. Jesus showing up on the scene reveals and illuminates God, the Father. It says in another place in Scripture as well that God is light. God is light and, and in Him there is no darkness at all. God's first words that he spoke in the beginning of the Old Testament, Genesis 1-3, he said, let there be light. Again, a lot of people have these misconceptions about God that he's evil or he's cruel or he's wicked. That's not the case at all. Our God is a God of light and purity and holiness and goodness. And it says that he shines in the darkness. Jesus shines in the darkness. So even though, spoiler alert, this world has a lot of darkness in it. Things happen all around us that are wrong and wicked and evil and sinful and dark. And, and things happen within ourselves. There's darkness in us too. A lot of darkness in the world. But even though there is darkness, there is hope because it says Jesus shines in it. And not only does he shine in it, it's not like 
I'm in this room that's very dark, but over there there's like a little night light on. No, it says that the darkness has not overcome him. The light of Jesus is stronger and better than the darkness of the world. He scatters the darkness. Matter of fact, my friends, Jesus offers each and every one of us a life that is not governed by darkness. Doesn't mean that if you walk with Jesus, nothing bad will ever happen to you. No darkness will ever come anywhere near you. What it means, though, is when you walk with Jesus, He powers you through it. You can survive the darkness. You can overcome the darkness. Why? Because He overcomes the darkness. He is stronger. Furthermore, it says, we already read it in verse 9, the true light gives light to everyone. Now, on that phrase, some might mistakenly read that as though, oh, Jesus comes and He saves everybody. Some people have this idea of what's called universalism in their mind. That no matter what you do, think, believe about God in this life, at the end of the day, God loves everybody. He'll save everybody. We'll all go get to be with Him and have a big party one day. That is not accurate. That is not what the Scriptures teach at all. Not all people are saved. Not all people receive the light. What this Scripture means in verse 9 is that the light comes and shines on everyone and we are given the choice of how we respond to it. And all can respond. Jesus isn't just for some people. He's for all people. The key is, what's your response about Him? You know how it is when light hits certain insects? They respond differently. I'm going to gross you out a little bit. If you think of something like bed bugs. Generally speaking, but not all the time, when you flick the light on, the bed bugs scatter. They take off. They run and hide because they prefer to be under the cover of darkness. In contrast, I'll really gross you out. You think of something like June bugs. The only reason I can bring up June bugs is because it's January and we're still months away from having to deal with them. You know how June bugs are? They are attracted to the light, not repelled by it. When you turn the light on, they will literally drop anything and everything to go and get into that light. That's why if you have a light on inside your house, the June bug will ping, 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 ping off your window all night because it's desperately trying to get to the light. That's kind of how it works with Jesus. Some people see the light of Jesus and they respond in faith. They say, yes, Jesus, I am yours. They give themselves to Him. They accept Him as Lord and Savior. They repent of their sins. They turn to Him. They walk with Him. Good to go. Other people hear of the very same Jesus, the very same news and message of Jesus, and they harden themselves to that. They do not receive it. But the point is this, the light is out there. Jesus is the light. Have you responded to Him? Do you know Him? Have you accepted Him? Has His light shone into your heart and into your life? You need to know Him today, friends. Number six, Jesus has witnesses. He has witnesses. It says in verse 6, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. In verse 15, it says that John bore witness about him, Jesus, and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. I don't know if you watch any crime shows on TV or not, CSI, or actually there's so many of them now, I don't even know what's current, but you get it, crime shows. 
When you're watching a crime show, the law enforcement people, they are trying to build a case against a criminal. And they need evidence in order to do that, in order to help them solve that crime. One of the key pieces of evidence are witnesses. If you can find somebody who witnessed the crime or they saw it happen or they know what went down, they are a key piece in figuring out what actually happened, what the truth is. And that's the same here as well. It talks about this witness named John. Pause there for a sec. This is not the same John that wrote this book. Must have been a popular name that year. This is talking about someone known as John the Baptist, who we're going to talk about next week and a few other times as well. John the Baptist was a witness to Jesus and a powerful one at that. And you say, well, look, that was 2,000 years ago. Why do I care about John the Baptist now? What, what do I care that he witnessed to Jesus or witnessed about anything? I'll tell you why. Number one, he was sent from God. So it said in verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. God is involved. It makes sure to mention that. So we need to pay attention to this guy. Number two, John the Baptist was prophesied about. It was predicted many, many years before John ever came around that this is who he was going to be. This is what his life was going to be like. This was the work that God was going to have him do. And then he came and fulfilled that. It says in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, God says, I'm going to send my messenger before me. And he's going to prepare the way for me. That is what John the Baptist served to do. And that was written 400 years before he was born. Isaiah 40 verse 3 talks about the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the paths for the Lord. Ultimately, John the Baptist comes and he is that person. That's the role that he fulfills. In fact, he uses that language. We're going to see that next week. Isaiah 40 verse 3 was written 700 years before John was born. You can see the involvement and the activity of God in there. Number three, you should care about John because he ministered powerfully. There were signs that accompanied his witnessing and pointing to Jesus. It says in Matthew chapter 3 that people would come from all around the region to see John and see what was going on, see what God was up to. This was in an era before the internet. You couldn't just go on YouTube and type something in and you know someone was there filming it on their phone. No, you had to go and you probably had to walk there. People went from miles around just to get near this guy to see what was going on. And when they get there, God was so up to something, it says that people would confess their sins and be baptized. So God was clearly up to something. John was ministering powerfully. And number four, putting it simply, John the Baptist is a guy that just, he gets it. He gets it. He understands. He says in verse 15, after me comes someone who ranks before me. Now pause right there. You guys understand the concept of seniority. Someone who's been around longer or been at the company longer, they rank before you in a way. Seniority is a position of honor and respect and esteem. If you have more seniority, you're more likely to get the good parking spot or be in line for that promotion faster. Or at the very least, maybe you get good dibs on vacation days first. John the Baptist was physically older than Jesus was. He had seniority in that way. And yet he says, this one Jesus who's coming after me actually ranks before me because he was before me. A.K.A. he existed from eternity past. John knew who he was. So we need to pay attention. God is clearly involved in the life of this John the Baptist, which we'll see in the coming weeks. When God is involved in something in your life, when things are happening around you that only God could be responsible for, you don't ignore those things. 
God's trying to get your attention and point you to something. John the Baptist is a good example of this. Jesus has witnesses. Number seven, Jesus came to us. Jesus came to us. It says in verse 14 that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. In verse 10, it says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not even receive him. The fact that Jesus came to us is a significant hallmark of our faith. It is what sets our faith in Christ apart from many other world religions and faith beliefs in the world. A lot of people say, oh, well, God is inside of us. And we need to work to unearth God who, who dwells within us. Nope. Some people say, well, if we put in enough effort or work or we transcend or blah, 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 we can, we can rise to the level of God's ourselves. Nope. Nope. Not even close. Flip the script. And that's what we believe. We believe, look, God is not inside of me in and of myself. I am actually far from him. He is here and I am here. He is far and away greater and higher and better than I am. And on my own, I got no business and no audience with him. I can't roll on with him. But he has come to us. That's so incredible. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. It says in verse 14, Jesus, the word, the one who is greater than us, came to us. And he became like us, and he came right where we live. He dwelt among us. Let's be honest, sometimes the dwelling among us, our surroundings, kind of a dumpster fire. It's messy, it's a mess, there's sin, there's problems, it's not good. But Jesus came anyway. I said earlier that God wants to relate to us, that God wants to express himself. He proved that in a definite way through the sending of Jesus' his Son. Even though we have sinned against God, even though we have fallen short and, and made ourselves hostile against Him and enemies of God, we have fallen far short of His standard. There is a great chasm between us and God. God loves us so much. God loves you so much that He wanted to bridge that gap for you. So he sent Jesus, his son, into the world. Jesus died on a cross to pay for the weight of all of our sin. All of the things that we have done against him. He died in our place for those things as our substitute. So we did not have to bring death upon ourselves and condemnation upon ourselves and wrath upon ourselves. Jesus died to save us from all that. He is not the kind of king who sits in his ivory tower and has no regard or no care or no idea about the problems of his people. Jesus is the kind of king who steps off his throne and humbles himself and walks alongside of us in the struggle. I don't know what, kind, I don't know what Jesus you know or what Jesus you've heard of in the past, but that's the Jesus you need to know. He came to us. Matter of fact, he's still with us. It says in verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone. Notice that doesn't say which gave light. It says it gives light. Present tense. It's still happening. Jesus is alive right now. Yes, he died on a cross. 
But he also rose from the grave victoriously. He was without sin, therefore the grave could lay no claim to him. He rose on up out of there victoriously and triumphantly. That is where our hope comes from, that Jesus is alive, that our sin problem has been conquered and defeated by Jesus. Jesus then ascended into heaven where he is right now, ruling and reigning. And he is still with us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's the problem. Even though Jesus is with us and he's come to us, most people don't recognize him. It says that he was in the world, but the world did not know him. That happened in John's day. That happens in our day too. And that's absolutely tragic. You would think that when the God of the world and the universe and of all creation steps onto the scene, we would take notice. A lot of times we don't. I was watching a clip a little while ago um, from the show Undercover Boss, which I haven't watched a lot of that before, but maybe you've seen it. The premise in Undercover Boss is that someone who's high up in the company, CEO for instance, they disguise themselves and they, they go into work like in where the operations happen or like at the retail location or at the restaurant or whatever. They come in as like an entry level employee for instance and the people don't recognize them because they're undercover. I watched a clip of this woman who was the CEO of a restaurant chain in the US and she went undercover to one of the restaurant locations and she got paired up with this manager who was supposed to be training her and showing her the ropes and all that. This guy didn't recognize her and didn't go well for him. He was going on about how bad the job was and you can just slack off and don't worry about this. I know we're supposed to do this, but let's not worry about that. My favorite part, he was captured as saying, and I quote, I hate customers more than anything in the world. Says the guy who works in the customer service industry. The customers pay his salary. Didn't go well. And when at the end of the episode, this lady revealed who she was, she pulled that manager aside and said, listen here, buckaroo. Like, you can't work here if that's your attitude. You've got to smarten up. This failure to recognize Jesus happened when Jesus walked the face of the earth, which we'll see in this book of John, and it still happens today. And you know why the reason is that that happens? It's because we're self-centered. It's because we have our mind made up. We're set in our ways. We have our opinions. And we're in it for ourselves. And when this Jesus comes along, if he is not in line with my experiences and my opinion and my beliefs and my thoughts and my truth, we don't see it. We don't accept it. We don't get it. Even when God shows up, a lot of the time we miss it. So again, I'll ask you, do you know Jesus today? Are you walking with Jesus? Are you recognizing the activity of Jesus in your life today? Number eight, love this one. Jesus makes us part of God's family. You read verse 12 and 13. It says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood or the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. A lot of people have a misconception, and I've heard lots of Christians say this too. We're all God's children. We're all God's children. Duh, we're all God's children. Actually, no, we're not. That's not how that works. We are all, all people everywhere are God's creation. And all people everywhere are loved deeply by God. 
but not everyone is a child of God. Like it says in that verse 12, you have to be given the right to be called a child of God. Something has to happen in you and to you and through you before you're a child of God. And it says right in there, you need to believe in Jesus' name. Belief in Jesus' name qualifies you to be a child of God. It doesn't happen by blood, it says here. It's not your family name, your background. All my parents were Christians. doesn't matter. You, you being a child of God has nothing to do with that. It says it's not by the will of the flesh. It's not, I'm going to just pull myself up by the bootstraps and I'll try really hard and I'll get into God's favor that way. Nope. Not how it works. It's not by the will of man either, it says. We'll just come together and come up with some man-made scheme to curry favor with God. No. It doesn't work. You only become a child of God when you believe in the name of Jesus Christ, when you are saved by Jesus Christ, when you accept Him as your Lord and Savior, you repent of your sins, you turn to Him and you walk with Him. That qualifies you to be a child of God. It's nothing that you do at all. It's faith in what Jesus has done and who Jesus is. So again, I will ask you, do you know Him? Are you a child of God today? There are tremendous benefits of being a child of God. It is such a wonderful reality to live in. When you are a child of God, the scenario you live in is this. God is not only in authority over you, but He's in relationship with you and He's strong for you. There are so many amazing blessings and benefits that come along. Promises of God, protection of God, provision from God salvation, eternity. Being a child of God is amazing. And He's inviting every single person to do that today. To become a child of God by believing in the name of Jesus, His Son. Number nine. Two more to go. Jesus is glorious. He's glorious. I love this one. In verse 14 it says, And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. That phrase, glory, is one that's difficult to wrap our, our hands around and our minds around. It's a loaded word. And what glory means, it means weight. It means magnitude. It means the wonder of something. You can maybe not wrap your hands around glory. Maybe you, you even have a hard time defining glory, but you can feel and sense and experience glory. When something weighty and significant and amazing happens in your life, those are moments of glory. You can see glory, for instance, in sports. If you're a sports fan, you'll probably remember 2019 when the Toronto Raptors won the NBA championship and a lot of people like myself who aren't even basketball fans jumped on the bandwagon and we all watched it. Game seven of the second round, Toronto's down right at the end, hardly any time left and Kawhi Leonard goes in for the three-pointer from the corner and it goes up and it bounces and bounces and bounces and bounces and drops in right as time expires to win them the series and his teammates maul him and Canadians all across the country freaked out that is a moment of glory it's a whoa you can feel the weight in that moment 1993 World Series Joe Carter hits the World Series winning home run for the Blue Jays the fans go nuts. Joe Carter's jumping around as he runs the bases. The announcer says, touch them all, Joe. You'll never hit a bigger home run. That moment is a glory moment. In fact, I'll confess, sometimes when I watch that clip, I almost get a tear in my eye because of the sheer weight of it. 
Okay, maybe you're not a sports fan. Glory happens in nature too. When you have a beautiful sunset come up in front of you and it just takes your breath away, that's glory. When you have a mountain view or an ocean view or there's a majestic animal that goes in front of you, it's like, whoa. It just almost stops time dead in its tracks. That is glory. And these kind of experiences shape us and hit us at the soul level. Do you want to know why? Because we were made for glory. We were made for glory. Not our own glory. Psalm 115.1 says, Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name give the glory. We were made to bask and live in light of God's glory. There is no one more glorious than God. No one has and is glory like He is. And our lives are supposed to happen in the light of that glory. It's kind of like, again, there's no metaphor that can do this justice, but it's like when you're in the shade and then you step into the sun and you can just feel the warmth hit you. You can't reach out and touch the sun. You, you can't even realize all that the sun is and how big the sun is, but you can feel its radiation upon you. And it is so warming to the soul even. That's what the glory of God is like. And friends, there is nothing better in this world than the glory of God. If you've been a Christian long enough, long enough you've probably experienced that. When you get a taste of the glory of God... It has a way of just satisfying longings that are in us. It has a way of helping us realize a peace that we didn't even know existed. And, and hope starts to pulsate through our veins. And joy starts to well up in us. That is God's glory. And what this is saying is that glory is found in Jesus Christ. If you want to know the glory of God, if you want to live in light of the glory that you were meant to bask in, you need Jesus. You need to walk with Jesus. It says in Hebrews 1.3, He is the radiance of the glory of God. Do you know Him today? You need to know Him. Finally, number 10, then we'll start wrapping this up. Jesus is full of grace and truth. Verse 14, again, the Word became flesh, dwelt among us. We have seen His glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and and truth. Verse 16 goes on to say, For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Again, I will remind you, God wants to be related to. God wants you to relate to Him. And one of the things God has done in history past to relate to people is He sent the law. Talked about that in verse 17. The law came through Moses. And the law was a very good gift. It was God expressing, here's my moral commands, and here's my nature, and here's my expectations for you if you want to roll on with me. The law was good. Here's the problem. We're not good. When we take a look at God's law, what we realize pretty quickly is, oh, snap. I don't measure up to this. I can't keep this. It's beyond my capacity and my ability to be able to, to, to keep this law. But God doesn't let that stop him from wanting to relate to us. In addition to the law, he sends Jesus, who it says right there is full of truth and grace. Jesus, and we're going to see this in his life and ministry, and we've seen this as Christians if you've been a believer long enough. 
Jesus is not afraid to model the truth. He is pure. He is perfect. He is holy. He is righteous. He's also not afraid to call us out when we're not living according to the truth, when we're living in sin. The reality is we are sinners and we need to be saved. And even as Christians, we all still sin and fall short. And Jesus doesn't coddle us in that. Oh, they're there. That's all right. No, sometimes Jesus takes us to the mat. Because sometimes we're dumb. Let that minister to you today. But here's the thing. Accompanying the truth that Jesus brings is the grace that Jesus brings as well. Grace, favor from God, kindness from God, second chance from God. When Jesus comes up onto the scene in our lives, it's always with truth and grace. Because He is full of both. And grace is the invitation to, yes, I know that you've done this and you've stumbled in this way, but look, I want to pick you up out of that. I want to help you through that. I want to cleanse you from that. I want to put your feet on solid ground so you can walk with me and roll on with me and experience more of the life that I have for you. That is the grace of Jesus. And He's full of that and truth because that's His character. It says, from His fullness we have all received. So I will ask again, do you know Jesus? Have you seen the truth of Jesus in your life? Have you received the grace of Jesus in your life? You need to know Jesus. And that is ultimately what I've been yammering on up here trying to communicate to you today. Listen to me. Let's wrap this up. Your life counts for something. Your life has a purpose. Your life is significant. And your life's purpose revolves all around the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It is all about being close to Him and walking with Him and trusting in Him and, and obeying Him and being caught up in the wonder and worship of Him and abiding in Him. Friend, if you are trying to look at your life and find meaning and significance and true living... Apart from Jesus, you are missing the point and you're missing the substance of it all. That meaning you're looking for in life ultimately only comes from Jesus. That hope and that optimism and that reason to keep going that you're looking for in your life, ultimately that's found only in Jesus. That glory, that significance that you are looking for in your life only is found in Jesus. That joy your soul longs for is found only in Jesus. That light and the good in this dark world ultimately is seen in Jesus. The grace that you are looking to receive for your soul is found in Jesus. The belonging and acceptance you desire and crave in this life is found in Jesus. That love that you're so desperate for is found in Jesus. That longing and that hole in your heart and your soul and that feeling that there is more out there, that is ultimately satisfied in Jesus Christ. And friends, if you're listening to this and that just sounds like religious jargon to you, I dare you to try them on for size. I dare you. If you would put Jesus first in your life, you would see Him show up in your life. If, if you are withholding some area of your life from Jesus, give that over to Him and see what He does. He is that important. He is that significant. He is that powerful. He is that good. 
And He has a life for us. He is everything. And we're going to see more of this as we continue on through the Gospel of John. We're going to see more of the glory and the weight and the majesty and the magnitude of Jesus as you go along. But do not miss this foundational truth today. You need to know Jesus. And you need to walk with Jesus.